What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all. As always, the month of January continues to move on, and so does our preseason previews. Looked at the ACC last episode here, looking at the Big Ten. Look for the rest of the conferences as the month progresses as well. But as I said today, looking at the Big Ten, a conference that had one team in championship weekend last year is typically one of the best conferences in college. But also a conference that last year may have been the most competitive in the country. You had Johns Hopkins being back-ish. You had Michigan setting a new standard for itself in not only getting to the NCAA tournament, but winning a game in the NCAA tournament, beating Cornell in the first round, and should I mention winning the Big Ten as well. You had Maryland, who, while they weren't up to the Maryland standard last season, still a very good team in the Big Ten. Penn State coming back into the fold as a national power, making their second championship weekend appearance a season ago as well. Rutgers was a tough team as well, despite not having the success they needed to in Big Ten play. Ohio State, a lot of question marks there, uh, but still had some tough games, close games against Big Ten competition as well. Did get that win over Rutgers to uh, headline their, what was an otherwise painful season for them. So the, the Big Ten was, was really a, a competitive conference last season, was an exciting conference last season, maybe the best conference in the country top to bottom when you step back and take a look at it and, and just how competitive almost every single game was every single week in the Big Ten. It felt like the Big Ten never really had any down games. They didn't have any you know, blowouts last season uh, that, that I can remember off the top of my head. They were always close. Always competitive games in the Big Ten. And as I mentioned, you know, Hopkins getting back in the fold. Penn State getting back in the fold after a couple down years. And then, you know, Maryland kind of maybe dropping back into the pack a little bit. Michigan stepping up. Exciting season overall in the Big Ten. 2023 was. 2024, what does that have in store for the Big Ten? Is going to be interesting. I think we're going to see... Possibly another year like last where the margin of error, the margin of difference between these teams, especially in March and April when these teams start playing conference uh, opponents, March, April, May, when, when they start playing conference opponents, when you start getting in your conference schedule, isn't going to be uh, that much and it is not going to be as big of a difference uh, as it may be in some conferences when you look at you know, number one versus you know, number six here in the Big Ten. Now, to start things off here, I want to go over my preseason standings, my uh, projections, rankings here in the uh, Big Ten, as just as I did last week with the ACC, and as we'll do with the rest of these conferences as well. So. Getting into my 
know, projected rankings here in the Big Ten. I have, you know, sitting first overall is is Maryland. And we'll talk a bit about more about Maryland here in a second when we dive into some deeper storylines into the conference. But Maryland, as I said, was not up to that Maryland standard last year. Eric Marvel was, was hurt in the preseason in the fall. And then you had Logan McNaney get hurt in the second game of the season there against Loyola. Those injuries aren't you no know, excuses for their uh, not living up to that standard, but certainly they're not not excuses that you know, Antelman would give, certainly. But they did impact that roster, did impact that team. This is a team that you saw offensively have to kind of reinvent itself after losing so much from a year ago. They did have some transfer guys in there, some younger guys that helped out there. Uh, Maryland, a, 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 a team that's looking to get back to championship weekend. They've only been to cham- missed championship weekend twice under John Tillman. One of those was last year. Maryland, as I say over you, is Maryland until they prove to me that they are not going to be the top tier. Until they prove to me they are not going to be uh, the, the, the number one, number two type team in not only the Big Ten but in the country. I'm always going to put them in that top tier, especially during this reign under John Tillman in the preseason. Always have high expectations for the Terrapins. Number two here I have is is Penn State. And this is a Penn State team that, as I mentioned, had a lot of, you know, had a year last year, a lot of success. A year you can call a rebound year. This is a team that they won, what was it, six games, I believe it was. Over the twenty twenty two, excuse me, twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two seasons, um, really struggled, and really for two years were impacted greatly, um, some ways more than others by injury. A lot of those guys came back last season, um, and this was a team that getting those injured injured guys back, those veterans guys, veteran guys back in particular. And getting some of those transfers in there, like a Kevin Winkoff, helped push them over the top. Now, Jack, uh, Jack Posey stepping up defensively was a big piece as well. And, and this defense really shined last season after not being so great in previous years. Um, and, and defense really was an issue for Penn State. Even back in 2019, what was their weakness defense? Um you saw Jack Flacian step up in cage, and it had a tremendous season for them. Uh, and, and he's back as well as Posey, as well as Alex Ross. This is a Penn State defense who still should be, who still should be pretty formidable, who should still scare many teams in the Big Ten and and across their schedule. T.J. Malone, Matt Trainer, both back on offense, attack, and midfield spot. You get James Del Monte in there from Muhlenberg Division Three player. Uh, on the offense, capable offensive talent. You also get in Sean Donnelly, the attackman from Drexel, uh, who had been one of Drexel's main key pieces for that offense. Had a very productive career at Drexel. Now looking to fin- uh, you know, finishing his college cross season, his college cross career at Penn State, um, and, and, and looking like he's going to be a major addition, major impact player for this team. He had 44 points, 33 goals, and 11 assists last spring. 
Dalgo Monte, um, you know, battled through injury in 2023 uh, with, with, with Muhlenberg. And so didn't get a ton of playing time, uh, but he had 24 goals and four, uh, four assists for 28 points, even battling through that injury. Uh, you also got Joe Scarfi, uh, top Division three player from St. Lawrence on the defensive end, who is coming in as well as a transfer. 44 ground balls, 23 turnover, uh, cause turnovers last season for him as well. So you're looking to see Penn State, what they bring back on both ends, and also what they get in from a transfer standpoint. Uh, the, the biggest question for for me, for Penn State, is, is at the faceoff dot, because that is where they struggled last season. You had Chase Mullins emerge as the primary option, a legend freshman who transferred in from North Carolina, started his career at North Carolina, 44.8% last season. Hudson Bond, 44.8% as the backup. Uh, Many lines really need to improve in that spot, but really elsewhere, you look at this team and what they did last season, the way they were able to play, the way they were able to win games, and, and even come back in games where they were down at, right? Um, and the man-up success, a big part of that as well, being able to capitalize on the man-up. You expect Penn State to continue uh, their the successes that they had a season ago with all they bring back, and I fully expect them to be a competitor in the Big Ten uh, in May, a competitor to make an NCAA at large, both if not get that AQ in the Big Ten come May. Third in my rankings here, I have Johns Hopkins. And so I, I, I struggle to have Johns Hopkins at three and Michigan at four. I struggled who to put where um, and ultimately went, went with Johns Hopkins. And I think, really, when you look at this, the, the, at this Big Ten group, at this Big Ten conference, again, I mentioned how last year it was so tight. And it feels like to me, again, this year could be tight as well. And another point to make there, why you could flip, and you know I have it, Maryland, Penn State, Hopkins, Michigan, Rutgers, Ohio State. Many of those teams you could argue for up a spot, down a spot, wherever. It does appear it's going to be a tight one again in 2024. Hopkins specifically, this is a team that was back last season, getting back to the NCAA tournament for the first time under Peter Millman. And this is a team that you know, does lose some talent. They do lose some talent. Garrett Degnon is gone. Alex Mazzone is gone. And Tim Seal is gone in cage. Those losses do create a considerable amount of questions for them on the... Um, do, do create considerable questions for them on both ends of the field, on both sides of the ball. However, Jacob Angelis is back, as well as Russell Melendez. I expect those two to be leaders of that offense. Melendez was a impact transfer last year coming in from Marquette. You expected him to be good, but I think he exceeded, especially my expectations, for what he was going to do. Hopkins exceeded my expectations for sure for last season. Scott Smith looking to be the leader of that defense uh, there as they're working to find uh, kind of an alpha guy to replace Mazzone, who not only played on uh, faceoff, not only played on defense on the back end, but also on the face-off wings as well. You know, Marcel in cage by the biggest loss of all they had. He had a tremendous season last year for them, really 
uh, jumping to the forefront as the starter and taking control of that defense. Who do they get to replace him? And, and this is a big reason why we have, have Hopkins at third here. Get Chase Irwin in there. Chase Irwin, goalie from Cornell, transferring to Johns Hopkins. He started his career under Peter Milliman at Cornell. He's ending his career under Peter Milliman at Johns Hopkins. I believe that transfer alone gives this Hopkins team, I think I would say Irwin is better than Marcel, even though Marcel had a great season last year. I think Irwin is an upgrade at the position based on what he's done over his career at John, uh, excuse me, at Cornell. And um, if you look at what he did there, just continue to kill it year after year after year. So five years started, the four years started, I believe it was there at Cornell. Um, and, and so this defense is one that I think got an upgrade at that position. I mentioned um, Scott Smith coming back as well, who's a player I've been a big fan of throughout his career there. You also got Odin Suzuki coming back also at close. Brett Martin is the team's top defensive midfielder. Carson Brown back at the Elsom spot, as well as Patrick Deans. And, um, oh yeah, they also get some additions here via the transfer portal. Jacob Stobner, defenseman from Princeton, who's in that rotation there. Very good defenses they had there the past couple seasons. And Brendan Alvies, who was a, um, a a stud there at Syracuse at the defensive midfield spot. This is a Hopkins team, again, that I come into the season looking at maybe more favorability-wise towards their defense with who they return plus some of those additions than the offense. But I, I think holistically this team can be what it wants to be once again here in 20. 24, and, and they do want to get back to the NCAA tournament, and they do want to be competing there for a Big Ten title. Hopkins certainly could be the mix to do that. In terms of Michigan, look, talk to Michigan, and you look at them last season, and you say, okay, you won the Big Ten, you go on this big run in May, you beat Cornell in the NCAA tournament. A lot of folks last year for Michigan. How do they continue to build on that. And especially when you lose Josh Sawada, Bryce Clay, Peter Thompson, who proved being impact transfer for them from Georgetown at the midfield position, midfield scoring, midfield production really increased last season for them. Nick Lowett at the faceoff dot is also gone, as well as Andrew Darby. Lowett was in the mix there along with um, Justin Wheatfield, who was the primary guy for most of the season last year. But Lollett had been the primary guy a couple years prior to that as well. Andrew Darby been a mainstay there on defense. Well, this team returns Michael Bain, your leading scorer, Ryan Cohn, another top end attackman. Adrian Mulholland is also back there as was was a top five, top six scorer for them last year as well. Hunter Taylor, who stepped in and, and, and proved to be the guy in the cage, he's back as well as Justin Wheatfield, who I just mentioned, was the top option for them last season. And Michigan having maybe the best duo face-off-wise with both Wheatfield and Lallette going over 50%, believe it was there. I believe uh, Wheatfield was in the 60s, was up there 
if he wasn't top 10, I don't have the stats in front of me, but if he, if he wasn't top 10, was definitely a top 20 guy in the country, top 25 guy in the country when it comes to face-off win percentage. This team also, um, I mentioned those losses, the biggest one there being Josh Sawada, mainstay offensive player, leaves the season, leaves Michigan as, you know, the, the all-time leading point scorer and goal scorer as well. You know, the biggest question for me with Michigan is, you know, can these, one, can they sustain with just what they have back? And then also, how, how well do these transfers impact this roster? And particularly offensively, when you get in Justin Tunin and you get in Christian Ronda, attackman from Lehigh and midfielder from Princeton, uh, Tunin comes in to, and you know, this is an offense last year, 13.53 goals per game, 19th best scoring offense in Division One, 33.6% shooting percentage. That's 7th best in Division One. Uh, bring back Bame and Cohen, as I mentioned. Well, Holland was, was a you know, top 10 scorer for them as well. You have got you know, Tunin coming in, was the leading goal scorer for Lehigh last year. A Lehigh attack that was extremely good. 46 goals. Nine assists, that's 55 points for him. Christian Ronda last season with Princeton, 32 points off 22 goals and 11 assists. The Scott Beater offense was much improved a year ago. We saw a lot better, um, more consistency offensively than we had seen from Michigan in prior years. Um, in, in, in certain respects, I mentioned the midfield getting more involved. It seemed like last season wasn't much as much an attack-oriented offense, although offense ball always going to run through that position, most likely, in most cases. How does this offense continue to prove itself? How does this offense continue to get better? And can it continue that upward trend with these guys coming in there? Big question for me, personnel-wise, in Michigan in 2024. Now, I have fifth here is Rutgers, and sixth here I have is Ohio State. Rutgers, 8-6 and six last year, 1-4 and four in the Big Ten. They were 7-2. and two. Yeah, 7-2, and 7-1, oh, I believe it was, coming into Big Ten play. Brian Kalen gone, Noah Daniels gone, Ethan Raw gone, Brad Apgar gone, Bobby Russo gone, Kyle Mullen gone. Okay. Okay. The team's going to have to rebuild a defense. Going to have to rebuild a defense. Top 15 scoring defense last season. Going to have to rebuild a defense in many respects there. Um, All-American LSM, Ethan Raw gone. Defenseman Bobby Russo gone. Apgar gone. Jack Stanswick also gone as well. Kyle Mullen also gone. Mid D mid. Noah Daniels and Ryan Decker both gone. Graduate SSDM John Miller, sophomore LSM Ryan Splain. Most productive pieces back there. How this Rutgers defense rebuilds itself is to me the most interesting aspect of this Rutgers team because I believe when you look at this team overall and you look at you know, Ross Scott, Shane Knobloch, Dante Kulis, 
Giacomone, those top returners offensively. And then you also look at, you know, the guys they get in. Um, and they brought in a whole slew of transfers once again. Um, McDonough, Connor McDonough from uh, McDonough from Towson, Tanner Germain from Bucknell, John Storsky from Lehigh, Tim Summer from Division Three Hamilton, Colin Kelly, been a productive player there for Canisius, Donnie Howard at Boston U, Tanner, uh, Tanner Kumacher, don't know how to pronounce that name, excuse me, uh, from Amherst, attackman from Amherst, very productive attackman there at Division Three level. A lot of guys offensively, you also get in Cole Brown's Matt Sutar, I think probably the most impactful transfers for them at the faceoff dot. Graham's coming from Utah, Sutar coming from Monmouth. It's going to be interesting how that works out. A lot like Virginia with that faceoff situation there, but I think they're ultimately going to be pretty good there with one or both of those guys being the main option. Um, Peter Rizzito coming in from Dartmouth. Uh, this is defensively now. Peter Rizzito, big-time pole coming in from Dartmouth. Harrison Howard coming in from Washington Elite, Division Three guy. Quentin Gordo coming in from Union uh, at the defenseman spot as well. You've got Seamus Fagan, goalie coming in from Hamilton. Productive goalie there at the Division Three level. Brandon Hund, defensive midfielder from Towson. Mason Edwards, defensive midfielder from UMBC. Both those guys productive at that uh, at their prior stops coming in and at the defensive midfield spot for Rutgers. This defense completely built in many ways. Many, many ways. How that comes about, I think, is going to determine the ultimate destiny of this team in 2024. If they cannot rebuild this defense and maintain or, or build a defense that is, or create, I should say, a defense, a unit that can be a, a, a top 10, 15, 20 defense and hold those Big Ten teams to what they need to be held to to win games. This is, we could see another year for Rutgers where there's some big wins in non-conference play. The Big Ten play rolls around and things kind of fall apart. And Rutgers wasn't far off last year. Like a lot of close games, I mentioned the Big Ten was not that far off in, in terms of margin between these teams. Um, we'll see how things go with Rutgers in 2024. That defense and replacing as much as they have to, certainly something that I'm looking at and certainly something that I uh, am going to be following as Rutgers begins the season here in February, um, yeah, very, very interesting season they had a year ago, interesting aspect of them transfer portaling just harder and harder, it seems like every year, um, if it works out and they can make another championship weekend run, like they did in 2022, um, we'll see, um, we shall see, but, uh, certainly interesting times there in Piscataway. Interesting times in Columbus, Ohio as well. I have Ohio State as my sixth team here in the Big Ten. You lose Jack Myers, you lose Kyle Porter, you lose Skyler Wayland and Cage. 
you get back Bobby Van Beelen, you get back Marcus Hudgens. I think those two defensemen could. What could be the biggest two-headed monster in the Big Ten? Ed Sheen, Dylan Magee, two productive offensive players back for you. Ohio State, 5-9, and 1-4 and four in Big Ten play. Um, something I, I do want to mention here, Ohio State. Okay. End of the year on a 1-6 stretch there. Um, put two losses to Arch Rival Michigan, which Ohio State, Michigan, you cycle those games, you lose one of those games, it's that that's half your season. Um big statistic here for Ohio State negatively. It went 0 and eight closest teams that made the NCAA tournament and 0 and seven on the road. 0 and seven on the road. Also wanna mention under Nick Myers, Ohio State has gone from being under 500 to making the NCAA tournament three times. 2015, 2017, and 2022. Ohio State was under 500 last year. Can they make the NCAA tournament this year? Can they pull it off again? It's a question. A lot of new faces at Ohio State via the transfer portal as well. Jack McKenna coming in from Fairfield. Kurt Braun, Division Three transfer from Tufts. Ben Mayer, Division Three transfer from York. All, all those guys at the attack spot. You've got Thomas Greenblatt, Greenblatt who I'm a big fan of, coming in from uh, Binghamton at the midfield spot. Eli Fisher, a two-way guy, potentially there from Wagner at the midfield spot. Eli Gladstone, midfielder from Grove City College, Division Three guy. Tommy Burke. Most impactful transfer they have coming in from Vermont at the faceoff position. He is going to drastically improve what was a bad situation at the faceoff last year. Injuries hurt that spot as well, but it just wasn't wasn't very good. And Tommy Burke, one of the top faceoff men in the country, each of the past you know, three seasons, coming to Columbus now. Expect that position to be greatly elevated. Zach Antonio from Fairfield, a defenseman, big fan of, like that addition there for them. Danny Brady, goalie from Wagner, been a great goalie at Wagner, been a great goalie at, at, at a lower Division One in, in, in the NEC at that lower Division One uh, level. We'll see how he translates to uh, the Big Ten, to Ohio State. And if he is indeed the starter when uh, things are all said and done, and the goalie position is an area where you do have some of the big questions there for Ohio State, and one of the biggest questions there for them for sure, with Wayland having gone. Uh, you've got Danny Brady, and you've also got Henry Blake, and freshman Caleb Fyock also on the roster as well. Fyock, a five-star freshman. Uh, I believe he was in a... Uh, New Balance, yeah, New Balance All-American, uh, but but certainly a lot of a lot of head scratching, as I scratch my head, uh, from Ohio State last season in many respects. So they've had some close games, but also didn't look particularly good in some of them. Um, had some blowouts, so you you, you want to say that had some really disparaging times um, to. 
wrap it all up and, and we'll see if they can push further and if they can get things back on track here in 2024 transfers going to be a big big part of that within these rankings go with it once again Maryland 1, Penn State 2, Hopkins 3, Michigan 4, Rutgers 5, and Johns Hopkins in Ohio State at 6. That's what I have as my projected in the preseason Big Ten rankings, Big Ten standings, whatever you want to say. Touched on two of my, you know, what I'd call biggest storylines here in the Big Ten already, but I said we would come back to another one and to, to wrap things up here. That is Maryland. That is the Maryland Terrapins. Wanted to come back to this because I, 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 you know, Maryland is such a brand in the sport, is such a power in the sport, um, and they did something last year that we don't typically see them do. I haven't seen them do a lot in the John Tolman era, and that is miss championship weekend, and that is actually lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament, losing to. Very good Army team there in first round at home in College Park. In College Park. They went 10-6 and six last season, 3-2 and two in the Big Ten. Maryland was a very good team last year. They were a very good team. They grew a lot, especially on offense. We had Braden Oska, Daniel Kelly, more, more and more guys getting involved offensively every week. The offense seemingly getting better every week. You had guys like Ajax Zapatello on defense. He's back on number one this year, by the way, the second defenseman after Brett Maycar last season to wear that uh, storied number one jersey for the Terrapins. Brian Rupel stepped up very nicely as a freshman in Cage to fill that void when McNaney went down. Um, Maryland is by my estimation, probably going to be the best team in the Big Ten. Will they look like a championship weekend contender when they take the field that first weekend of February against Richmond? No, I don't think so. Because you're never the same team you are to start the season that you are to end the season. And I do think this is a team that has championship weekend potential. And when I do my championship weekend uh, predictions here coming up in a couple weeks, I will certainly have Maryland on that um, on that prediction list of a potential championship weekend team. Now, they're going to be in my final predictions of going to get, I don't know. We'll see. I haven't decided that. Still working through that. You'll see that in a few weeks. But Maryland is going to be in that conversation. And there was a lot of talk last year, mainly among people who maybe opened their mouths too soon, maybe didn't think before they spoke, um, of Maryland being, you know, they've gotten caught up to. They've gotten caught up to. And I'd say in many respects that's true. The rest of the Big Ten has caught up to Maryland in many ways. Uh, this is not, you know, if you thought 2022 was going to be Maryland for the rest of eternity, you were a lunatic. That's retarded. Um, and I hope no one thought that. Honestly. 
but the domination that we saw from them 2021 2022 that was special that was special i don't think we're going to see that again they're coming back down to earth and that's what they did last season now this year you look at maryland i think they're ready to launch back into space not to that you know one loss undefeated season type thing again uh, that's that's difficult to re that's difficult to repeat. That's difficult for any team to repeat. It's difficult enough to repeat as champions. It's even more difficult to repeat as you know, undefeated champions. It's difficult. You don't see that many times in sports ever. Doesn't matter what sport it is: football, basketball, lacrosse. It's very tough to do. What Maryland has done that a lot of teams haven't in this sport is sustain, sustain. Maryland may not have lived up to that standard last season, making championship weekend at least, or being there on Memorial Day. They may have not lived up to that Maryland standard last season. But the Terrapins this year very much could get back to that standard. And I have an inkling that they likely could. Um, you look at this defense. In particular, and yes, you lose Brett Maycar, and you, you lose some other guys there as well. But I'm very intrigued by this transfer crop they've gotten in from Vermont. They call VT Ellison from Vermont, Jackson Canfield, defenseman from Vermont, and Colin Sharp, defensive midfielder from Vermont. All were big time players for the Catamounts, who have been the class of the America East in recent years, and have been one of the better defensive teams in the mid-majors in College Plus. Getting those guys in, the production, the experience, the talent they have, Canfield in particular is probably one of the more underrated players, probably the most underrated defenseman in College Plus. He's been hidden up there in the trees in Vermont, in northern New England. He's from Florida, so how he survived up there, I don't know. I couldn't. I'm from Kentucky. Very talented guys they got in. And you're pairing them with arguably the best defenseman in the country, Ajax Sapatello. You've also got Logan McNaney returning in cage after that injury, given he's fully healthy. And if you don't want to go with him, oh, you've got Brian Hoople, who was a stud last season as just a freshman. That, that's just your defense, close defense-wise. We, I'm pretty confident they're going to have the guys at the def defensive midfield spot, as they always do. I'm also confident in this offense. Um, even though you do lose Bonehart, this is a, as the offensive coordinator, this is not an offense that I expect to be like they were last year, but we're going to see, and it wasn't a ton of time, but like you did see some areas and some errors that you typically hadn't seen from Maryland earlier in the season last year with a lot of new faces that had to get to know each other, had to get to playing with each other at that level, at that pace. This is an offense that after seeing that time last season, and with Eric Marford coming back as well, who I think is fully recovered, fully ready, 
to wreak havoc offensively on the Big Ten on foul cross. Going to be put, going to be a stud once again. Wade Noska, Daniel Kelly also coming back. Luke Wheelman back at the faceoff dot. They're going to get those opportunities. They're going to get the opportunities to be great. And that is the, you know, what is the, the Maryland motto? Be the best. In 2024, in the Big Ten, I think Maryland is going to do just that once again. They were down last year. But hey, a lot of college cross teams across the country would have loved to have the season that Maryland had. When you have that high of a standard, you know, it can get lost on you that making this just making the NCAA tournament, and this goes for all these teams in the Big Ten and the ACC, just making the NCAA tournament for a lot of teams, that's their goal every year. To actually win a game, to actually go to the quarterfinals, to actually go to championship weekend, to play on Memorial Day, to even host that trophy. That is a blessing. That is the hard work and the talent paying off. And that is pressure. And I think it was Wallace Tiffany who says this all the time. Pressure is privilege. At Maryland, there's a lot of pressure. And you saw them, I don't want to say fold under that pressure last year, because I certainly do not want to put that aspect out there. But they didn't meet the ultimate expectation last season. 2024. Can Maryland be the best in the Big Ten? I think they have a very good shot at doing so. Very, very good shot at doing so. And I would not be surprised at all if they end up back, if not on top of College Across, near the top of the mountain, back on there, what has essentially become a birthright for Maryland fans in recent years, spot in championship weekend. All right, folks, that is it for today's episode. As always, thank you all for tuning in. You can connect with us on social media at lacrossebucket on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season.